First of all, thank you for joining us this week on our special episode. Happy Hanukkah and Merry Christmas to all the listeners out there. And this week we did have some audio problems when we were talking with Andy. Uh, We did the interview over Zoom, which in recording it that way took all of our audio, all of us together, and spliced it onto one track. Uh, So therefore, when one of us is talking over the other or laughing at something that Andy says... Unfortunately, it means that I'm not able to pull that apart, give spaces in between, and hear everyone's statements. Uh, While it would have taken a little bit more time to do so, I wish that we had gathered that. Unfortunately, it wasn't possible in this situation. Um, And the other piece of that is, of course, unfortunately, um, I don't know why, but we had some audio problems coming off from Andy's microphone. It wasn't noticeable during the interview. Everything sounded wonderful, and we could hear everything he was saying, but in looking and listening to it afterwards, there was definitely some audio problems that entered in. I've done what I can using a number of different filters to boost the sound and to get that canny sound out uh, so he doesn't sound like he's coming from out of a well. And you will hear that at times when I wasn't able to edit it because a couple of us were talking over each other. Um, However, I did fix it for the most part. And, and I noticed that I can hear it. So I'm hoping that you do too. Please enjoy this wonderful and very generous interview from Andy. He gave us a, a amazing amount of time. Uh, so once again, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and please enjoy this. Welcome to the Bare Naked ABCs. Tonight I am joined by Aaron and friend of the podcast, Jeff Whitmire. Thank you Hello, guys everyone. for joining me. Hey, hey. And for your listening pleasure audience on your travel to the holiday festivities of any sort, we will be foregoing our discussion of Bare Naked Ladies songs this week. We will return with that in a couple of weeks as we discuss grade nine. But this week, when I was in grade nine, tonight's guest was joining Bare Naked Ladies. <laughs> While our guest was with Bare Naked Ladies, the Yellow Tape was the first independent release to be certified platinum by Canada. Gordon went diamond, and those numbers are from 2000, so that was almost 20 years ago, so who knows what they are today. He's released four Brothers Cregans albums, the last one being in 2002. He's released three Andy Works albums. He has done a harp duet with Jennifer Swartz and Lori Gimmel. He has written the orchestrations for the Bare Naked Ladies appearances with the Symphony Orchestras of Toronto and the Boston Pops. He has written and conducted the orchestrations for Stephen Page with the orchestra in the Maritime Provinces last year. He's produced Mike Evans' album, I'll Bring the Stereo, and produced three other albums for Stefan Morin, Isaac Netto, and La Courage d'Amer, a musical about the life of Quebec nun, Daniel Belanger. He has played percussion, keyboards, sung or arranged songs on various albums, including Snack Time, Mike Evans' Good Watermelon, and Do You Feel the World, and Jake and the Leprechauns' A Long Dash, and has composed music for the Quebec Ultimate Frisbee Highlight DVD of 2008. (laughs) I I did not know that. (laughs) 
Andy, what are you? What have you been doing in the meantime to explore that creative side? I mean, you've disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> I disappeared uh, on your guys' radar, but uh, I've been involved in local cinema here, uh, which is getting involved with the uh, New Brunswick's uh, Symphony Orchestra, which is the province I'm living in here in Canada is New Brunswick, so uh, they have a symphony orchestra, so I'm involving myself in there. I'm, I'm uh, getting involved in organizing their family concerts, so it's a little bit of conducting, it's a little bit of uh, choosing repertoire. Uh, I wrote a piece for... Uh, sort of the principal players of the, uh, the wind instruments. So it's, uh, it's called a, a woodwind quintet. So I wrote them a piece and uh, I've been producing local groups here, uh, teaching and I'm doing whatever I can get going. Uh, occasional <laughs> show with, uh, with my brother. We played uh, recently in, uh, in Stratford, Ontario for the uh, Stratford Music Festival last summer. Great time. And uh, just trying to keep it musical. Just trying to have a good musical life. <laughs> That's excellent. Doing a little uh, bit of everything. <laughs> where, where do you teach, Andy? I teach uh, either at the schools where my kids are going, or uh, I teach right here in my studio. Right, my piano's right there. Very nice. nice. So, I'm, and I'm also working on Andy Work uh, Four. I was going to ask. Oh, That's yeah. excellent. <laughs> good to hear. Yeah. So just always experimenting and having a good time and doing whatever I can get going. And whenever someone asks me to compose something, I'm right, right about it. So the harp piece you mentioned is one, but there's been a bunch since as well. Now I can imagine that when you have done the production and the writing and the orchestration for those big bare naked ladies songs with the orchestras, like that had to have been pretty difficult to, to transpose it for all that. It's kind of adding a huge, powerful element to what's already there. So uh, you've got to understand the, sh the song, you've got to understand the musical part, and then you've got to sort of figure what the intention is, try to figure out where the energy is, and decide, you know, what the approach is going to be. It's to match the energy and sort of pretend that the, that the orchestra is like part of the band, you know, like when they're rocking, the orchestra's rocking, or mm -hmm. treat them as... You know, filling in whenever I can musically do it, or uh, and I treated them as part of the band. So, uh, yes, it's like a it's a monumental task of doing like an hour of music for an orchestra. That's one thing I've learned. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of paper, it's a lot of a lot of time. Yeah, it's a big deal. But it's uh, it is hard, but it's also amazing. You know, to to meet all those musicians and see them react to the to the arrangements and. Uh, and hear the musicians, like the guys in the band, react to them as well. And uh, it's, it's a really powerful when you get an orchestra behind you, you know. Really, really powerful. So it was a great opportunity to get into some of those tunes that I didn't know as well. You know, some of the stuff that they'd done since I left. It was great to get really get inside, you know, and just call Jim about bass lines and say, okay, what do you want to do here? And call, <laughs> call Kevin about, okay, what the heck are you playing here? Can you give me a little more insight? <laughs> going on there and uh, like you know his solo on Big Bang Theory for example I had to slow that down and learn it and then figure out how I was going to get into the orchestra just great great fun times you know and, and like you said really hard <laughs> very cool and from what I remember hearing from other interviews you've had like you enjoy that challenge you, you like doing things that are, are very uh, academic but also doing a lot of research around stuff and, and trying new stuff absolutely uh, I'm not a big fan of repeating. I like to move forward all the time. And uh, this was a great, great way to 
just get get groovy and, and try out different orchestrations as well. You know, I, was, I, I really wanted to be there and see how the different you know uh, orchestras were reacting to this stuff and hearing how really how it sounded. And I learned so much. They did a tour in uh, Western Canada of a bunch of orchestras, so we could mention the Vancouver Orchestra, the Calgary Philharmonic, the uh, the, BR, the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra, and the Winnipeg one as well, and the Kitchener. So, wow, experience working with all those orchestras, and I'm hoping they're going to do some sort of tour or much appearances in the states. And I'm hoping that's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> From your mouth to their ears. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, they've already sold a ticket if they decide to do that. Cool. <laughs> uh, you play percussion, numerous percussion instruments, yep. keyboards, piano, play guitar. Is there U any instrument that you that you like <laughs> ukulele? Like, what don't you play? Sousaphone. <laughs> what I don't play is much longer. Do you want me to get into it? <laughs> <laughs> the kazoo. <laughs> I want to get into some of the earlier stuff, if that's all right. And then kind of we can talk a little bit of some of the, the Brother Cregan stuff. Would that be all right? Yeah. I read that you may have had a hand to play in, in Dat Fodder, the hidden track that's on Gordon. Did you have any parts to play in, in the composition of that? Okay, I, I don't really know what you're talking about. Dat Fodder. I'm not even sure what that is. Is that the like the little bit at the end? Yeah, that's the extra stuff and the clips and the expansion off from the end of Crazy that's at the end. They kind of gave it that, that non-finitive non name of Dat Fodder somewhere along the way. <laughs> okay, now I understand what you mean. Okay. Uh, well, the extension of Crazy was, I think, a, a really a collaborative effort involving everyone in the band, plus Michael Philip Voyevoda had a lot to do with that as well. The part that I added to it would be kind of adding some harmonic basis to the thing. Like you can hear me improvising and sort of changing the harmony a bit. And, uh, and some of it's used, some of it's not used, but uh, it's kind of helping the thing sort of create a little bit of form. And you can hear like Martin Tielli, uh wanted to learn what I was doing so that he could react to it. And uh, those are some of the fun fun bits about that process. I remember that. Um, <laughs> All the little like text, little samples and stuff. That was Stephen Ed and, and Tyler kind of getting getting their hands wet in that. And then uh, I don't feel <laughs> Voyevoda was always just working textures, trying to find how okay, how are we going to get from here to there, and adding you know some more percussion stuff. And uh, but that was a fun process. We were just really having a good time with that. As far as that ended bit where people are laughing and there's little uh, you know tidbits of here. That's basically constructed by. Michael Philip Voivoda, he, he uh, was recording all the time. So whenever there was a funny conversation in the studio, he would tag it. And then, uh, you know, it was kind of like a little bloopers reel at the end, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Makes it different than all the other albums I'd ever heard to up, up to that point. So yeah. it's really cool. Did you have any, I know the credit is given to Jim, but I also heard that how much you guys collaborate on a lot of other stuff. Like, did you have any part in writing and creating I Love You? Sure. Yeah, Jim and I basically share we share that that songwriting. That was that was basically the, one of the first Brothers Creekin songs for real. Where we we really enjoyed uh, just getting trying to make it jazzy as much as we can. We're you know students of jazz, still are, and uh, just trying to try to have some fun with that. You know, and enjoy the vocal parts. And the guys really jumped in and had a good time with that. So that was that was fun making that. 
I'll let these guys also jump in with questions. I feel like I, I'm gonna I'm gonna monopolize <laughs> the evening if I get a chance. <laughs> well, I actually, uh, Andy, I had a question for you. Um, in the the Jeff's musical car um interview, which was uh, fantastic, you said something that really stood out to me, and I, I know I'm kind of jumping ahead chronologically here in the your career, but you had made a comment where you said that when you went to McGill that um you were taught or that you came that what you took away with that was uh, um take what you think music is and turn it on its head. Stole my and, question, And Jeff. I love that. Oh, I'm sorry. And I love that <laughs> line. I'm just wondering, you know, what you meant by that and how that inspired your writing, you know, as far as Brothers Cregan and the, the Andy Work albums. All right. So uh, Andy Work 1, uh, I would say, was written almost as a projection on what being a composer is. Like I was just imagining what it could be. And then on Andy Work 2, it's kind of almost like the reaction to my education in somewhat. So some of the pieces that I wrote during my time as a student are on that album and some other things too. Some of them are also reactions to what I was learning, you know, the contemporary music. Some of them were just, you know, like I just need something that's simple and, and tonal, but uh, sort of it's a mixture up. And then Andy Work 3 is me just having a good time sort of after having time away from school, just and having and also having young kids, uh, just having fun. And, and first time I had a studio and I could put all my instruments together and I was just having a good time. But anyway, get back in school. When you study anything at a really, really intense mm-hmm. level, you, you uh, learn about all the giants of the form, right? So be it art or music or, or math or physics or whatever, you, you, you're sort of forced to learn and digest all the great minds that have gone into the field right so and your world grows so much in such a little amount of time that it's really uh, often hard to digest and deal with it and keep sane and uh, and keep liking music because what those great minds did and pushed music to its edge uh, it just kind of makes you quite a question about, okay, <laughs> what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> what did I think before and who I was then? And yeah. now that I know this, you yeah. know, now that my music world is like busted apart, where do I fit in that? And how do I feel about all those things? Uh, and so it's, it's like, a, you know, the, the floor that you thought you were standing on was just removed. And so you're suddenly floating. And so it takes a while to figure out, okay, where am I going to place myself into this? And I think most people go through that in one way or another. Some people deny it and say, forget it. I'm just going to do country music. And I don't, I don't care what the hell Chuck Hazen or whatever, or Ligeti. Those people, I don't care what they were doing. I like country music and I'm going to do it. Uh, some people have that reaction. And some people, you know, say, well, if that's, if that's the edge of things. Well, I'm going to go into it too. So some people jump hard into the whole contemporary world and they become academic composers and uh, they go that route. I'm sort of somewhere in between. I still want to push forward, but uh, I didn't go as far as them, but I'm still trying to, I still like music. I know that. (laughs) Develop my own style and uh, slowly, you know, just slowly coming out of that and revisiting it occasionally. But uh, I found a place that I naturally go to and I'm, I'm at peace with it, you know? So does that answer your question? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That was great. <laughs> Andy, Andy, if I could just get you to elaborate, when you're talking about people out on the edge, are you talking about like Schoenberg and Reich or like Yoko Ono or who specifically? <laughs> Any, anyone in particular that you think of when you think of people who are really like pioneers? Oh, sure. No question. He was, he was important. He was someone we took a good hard look at. 
Stravinsky is yeah, a hero. Yeah. He pushed things in, in certain ways. But, you know, we went to Berg, we went to Webern, we went to Stockhausen, we went to Ligeti, uh, and all kinds of other ones. And they all blew my mind for different reasons, you know. So those are some of the composers that we studied, you know. The ones that I, my favorite aren't necessarily them. Like, I, I still realize that my favorite is still Bartok. I really enjoy it. Yeah, oh, yeah. Bell is one of my favorites. Debussy. And I, I haven't really gone, you know, Source Stravinsky is, is one that I really enjoy as well. So he's kind of one that everyone likes, you know, the the academics and the more pop contemporary. Uh, his first audience didn't like him so much, but <laughs> history, uh, history. The fact that he was making a fuss, yeah. make a fuss about it meant that it was, it was so, you know. <laughs> Well, I can yeah. see the Debussy thing because a lot of your music, um, uh, you know, through the indie works, are very ethereal, and and I can definitely see that influence too, which is is brilliant. I uh, listen to uh, uh, Sleep Suite a lot, which is one of my favorite of your pieces. And oh, thank you! <laughs> it's just fantastic. Thank you. It's, uh, I'm always trying stuff, you know, and uh, experimenting, and it's part of experimentation is just not knowing what's going to come out. And sometimes, yeah, not the perfect thing, but sometimes you, you fall upon some real great. Great, thanks. So thank, thank you for saying that. No, no problem. <laughs> and Steve Reich, of course, uh, as a percussionist, he was one of our heroes. For yeah, sure. me and, too. Uh, learned a lot from his thing as well. And just recently I went, I saw Akhenaten by was Philip Glass. Oh, excellent. Yeah, yeah. excellent. That, was, that was fun to watch. I haven't <laughs> sort of been back in that world in, in a while, so it was really cool to get back into that whole world. But uh, the thing about Reich is just so great. It's just used percussion so much, and I love that as a mm -hmm. percussionist. And uh, what, you know, one of my friends has kind of made him nauseous, made him want to throw up, but it, I just, uh, something about it I really enjoy. It's something about the slow process, of musical process that is going on, and grooves. And, uh, so I, I, it's actually interesting to note, um, because you mentioned glass. I actually, I brought up Reich, but... Uh, when I was listening to, what was it, Closing the Windows? Opening, um, opening the Windows, pardon me. <laughs> I'm an you introvert. Were close, wrong I'm an introvert, so <laughs> I closed the windows. The sequel, uh, Closing the Windows. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to wait for that one. That's going to be right up my house. But no, Opening the Windows, that's right. I was wondering if there was a little bit of glass or a little bit of Reich in there. Sure, absolutely. De definitely like some, some more bombastic moments. There was those intricate moving parts that just kind of changed subtly. Uh, that's well, one thing sure. I really I mean, appreciate about it. listen to the piece drumming by Steve Reich. Yeah, yeah. How it just slowly develops into uh, you know, a full-edged full, full -edged groove, and you hear the beginning of opening the windows the way you know, I just yeah. really add stuff. I mean, it's the same thing for sure. No. I really enjoyed that piece. Yeah, and then you know you do that on the dulcimer, and then I doubled it on steel pan, and then we did mm -hmm. different things, and then gradually figured out a form, and then Jim improvised over top, and then I I did a piano run reacting to Jim's stuff, and it sort of became something different, but definitely influenced by drumming by Reich, no question about it. Excellent. So speaking of Jim. You and your brother were the OG Backstreet Boys. <laughs> 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 I, 
so wait, wait. The, it was the back. Correct me because I'm Mike at this one. The Backstreet Basement Boogie Blues Band. Is that right? Oh, yeah, nice job. Yeah. Thank you. How old were you guys? And like, what kind of music did you play? Was it blues or was it just kind of you guys jamming? Or it was a, a band that we created. I think I was in grade seven or eight at the time. Nice. Jim was learning bass, so he wanted to learn how to do walking bass. So we started. Yeah. With I can't remember what the first thing we did. It was probably Elvis tunes. Mm-hmm. And then just gradually evolved, you know, found Blues Brothers music, tried to do a bunch of Blues Brothers stuff. And got a horn section. And then um, That's awesome. met a great guitar player who knew Stray Cats. <laughs> cat stuff. That's great. Uh, and then uh, Graceland came out around the middle of our high school time. So oh, yeah. Full <laughs> And we did uh, Diamonds on the Soles of Our Shoes. Nice. Uh, <laughs> oh. So Great song. <laughs> we were just basically using that as a vehicle to explore music. And then we uh, then we discovered Weather Report and uh, ah. a version of, uh, version of Bo- Birdland and uh, Teen Town. And then Jacob Astorias busted our minds apart. And uh, so we did a bunch of stuff. I, I, I just reacted like that because I was going to ask you if, if Weather Report was an influence on you guys because you definitely um, have kind of a fusion-y kind of rock jazz uh, thing going on. And sure, absolutely. I remember yeah. the day that Jim came home from the library with the Heavy Weather album. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's uh, good stuff. That would have been, I must have been grade 10 or something, grade 10 or 11. And I just remember him going, these are the best musicians in the world. <laughs> 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 and uh, <laughs> We listened to it and uh, gradually figured out that I think it was probably true, you know. And those, oh, they're great. Uh, like Jacob Astorius still is a oh, uh, yeah. your influence and hero. I mean, I'm not a bass player, but uh, just his fearlessness and his wrestle mm. spirit and the way he just did so many really cool things. And he also, of course, did many, many great things about just bass playing. He influenced the world of bass playing. But uh, I was mainly interested in just this fearlessness and just the way he just went about stuff anyway. And then at the same time, there's uh, Alex Acuna, who is a wonderful percussionist. And I listened to his videos and tried to play congas like him and uh, love the way he plays drum set. It's completely unconventional. Mm-hmm. Like, um, but Delina, we've seen him, you know, play in all kinds of different bands, Spiral Gyra and, and different other groups and playing with Johnny Mitchell. And of course, Joe Zawinul, his approach to his keyboards definitely was a, one of my favorite pieces is uh, Brown Street from uh, eight, the 830 album, Weather Report. And, uh, yeah, I still uh, love the Weather Report stuff. Not all of it, but uh, I really, really, really enjoy that, that music. Wayne Shorter. Yep. Well, and going off that, I, I did that. I mean, I had another question. If we even go back farther, um, I'm really curious to know, you know, what you and Jim were listening to or, or musically influenced. Because when I listen to a lot of like uh, Cregan Brothers, um, you listen to like You Will Be Adored. One of the things that amazes mm. me about you too is those tight harmonies you guys do are fantastic. And I just, I just envision a young uh, Andy and Jim, you know, six years old, singing to like some Everly Brothers or Simon and Garfunkel. It's, you know, what was the the musical childhood like for you guys growing up? Uh, well, uh, it was uh, parents loved music, so um, be it. Yeah, we listened to the you know Simon and Garfunkel greatest hits, uh, a track a lot, and we listened to. You know, Johnny Cash was one. We listened to... Nice. Uh, I'm trying to think of the band. It'll come back to me. Anyway, um, uh, another group. Uh, hang down your head, Tom Dooley. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get it. I'll find it. Anyway, listen to those guys a lot. <laughs> and listen to... Uh, you already mentioned it. Uh, Everly Brothers. Yeah, for sure. Listen to them. And yeah, so Harmonies 
we sang in church choir. Mom and dad had their own choir. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, I was one of one, kind of a rare breed of grade nine kids who sang in the choir. And instead of like, I got kicked out of the the drum, the band class because I was a bit bit precocious and uh, <laughs> my teacher was a bit sensitive. So, oh, yeah, I said, "Well, shit, I'll I'll go and hang out in the vocal class and sing." Nice. Um, so we loved singing. We loved singing harmonies. We had this quartet, of acapella quartet called the Synthetics. And we still get together with the guys. Whenever I'm in Toronto, we try to get together and sing some of that stuff. And I we just yeah. love it. You know, I just love singing harmonies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what we were listening to. And I'll try to find the name of that uh, that that group. Was that the Kingston Trio? Kingston Trio. Thank you. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I knew, yeah, I knew that, that sounded familiar. Well, Andy, you mentioned being at school. And it's, it's really interesting because I am a percussionist also, and okay. my my teacher would insist that I refer to myself as a percussionist as much as when I was a kid I wanted to be a drummer. drummer. But that's the thing is I, I came there. She's like, okay, well, Aaron, what do you want to play? Because I want to play the drums. She's like, well, you can't just be a drummer. If you want to play the drums, you have to be a percussionist. So you know, I learned the vibe, and then I learned the glockenspiel, the timpani, and all that. And at the time, I was like, you know, I can't wait to get on the drum set. But I am really glad <laughs> in retrospect because it has really made being like a multi-instrumentalist so much easier to know to have such a bass like that. So my question to you is, were you one of those people like me who just wanted to get into the drums and you got into that or stuff? Did you always want to be into like the more... I don't want to say esoteric, but just the other various uh, percussion elements. I don't know. Um, I played piano, and my pian my mom was a piano teacher, and my dad played piano by ear. So there was there was just piano was around. We heard it a lot. You know, like our soundtrack of our childhood from you know after school to supper time was basically you know the uh, watching Flintstones and uh, mm -hmm. Three's Company and WKRP and, <laughs> and listening to mom nice. give lessons at the same time so you know like a simple Bach errors and all the stuff that you do as a you know that's that's the soundtrack of my you know 3 30 to six o'clock at night you know <laughs> um, I played drums played piano uh, I enjoyed playing marimbas and xylophones I kind of liked it all yeah and my I think my ambition eventually uh, when I was in grade 10 11 was to become a timpanist oh really in an orchestra. Timpani's fun. It's, it's, you get the bouncing off of the big heads and everything. Mm -hmm. It's just, just some very, uh, I don't know, it's just very, you put yourself into it a lot, I feel like, when you're playing timpani. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, around the time I joined Bernicke Ladies, which is kind of funny, I decided that I was going to come and, you know, bring congas because I wanted to get into hand drums. Um, so I started on congas, right? They didn't, and they didn't want a drum set at that time either. So I was like, well, I'll just bring the drum set or bring the congas. And, yeah. Try and figure out how to properly <laughs> press pockets at the same time. And Jim brought his double bass because he was working more on double bass. But we could have easily just kind of showed up with the drum, drum set and, and electric bass. But we wanted a different kind of vibe. And in retrospect, without the cymbals and without the electric bass, it allowed us to really focus on singing harmony. And uh, mm -hmm. the sound of the beginning of the Bare Naked Ladies was really harmony based. Mm -hmm. And it also allowed Jim and Ed to really dominate the rhythm. Like a, as a, as a mm. conga player, as a percussionist, I'm not so much of a dominator, more of a follower. And so uh, they really developed a really rhythmic bond. And I was able to sort of float on top of that with the congas. And when I moved to piano, it was the same deal. Like if you listen to the beginning of Crazy before Tyler comes in. 
that's sort of the beginning of what Barney Lady sounded like at the beginning. Like, there was a lot of vocals. Mm. The, the guitar, the rhythm guitar drove it, and the bass, the two of them had an amazing bond. And I would just sort of float with some chords on the piano. And so, yeah, I, I approached it more uh, orchestrally, I think. Um, and uh, I was kind of playing a lot of drums, and I was a drummer, but I decided, no, I didn't want to do that. And then when I left <laughs> do this whole uh, you know, Canada World Youth, and when I came back and Tyler was a drummer, I was like, oh, okay, play more piano. Yeah. And Tyler, you'll see his style of drumming is more of a forceful thing, right? Um, right, yeah. So that was something I had to deal with coming back. But uh, anyway, that little nugget, crazy, you can hear almost the evolution of the band, whereas you can hear the rhythm guitar, you can hear the harmonies, you can hear how the rhythm guitar and the bass work together, you can hear the piano just floating on top, and then you can hear Tyler bash in and then <laughs> establish what, what the rhythm is, right? So it's, uh, it's a really, really telling piece of music, right? It's, uh, it's very cool. And he's brought rock and roll. I mean, that's one thing Tyler brought, and uh, he's unashamed about that, and something I think eventually that I realized that what he brought was something that I wasn't interested in eventually. Mm. Uh, so imagine that we had a lot of really fascinating and uh, deep talks about that as I was contemplating leaving the band, for sure. I think that's one of the things that makes those early years so interesting. It's that every member brought something a little different to it and there were these kind of clashing musical interests that made these Songs that were kind of hard to place in any given genre sometimes, which I, I really enjoyed. Yeah, for sure. But they also blended really well together. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, and I think clash is the wrong word because they didn't really clash. They blended. Like it, it might have been well, different I genres, meant, but they kind of out of disorder came order. Right. There's the right. disparate, <laughs> and you know, you bring them together to fuse them into something beautiful. Yeah. Well, if uh, you listen to some of the covers that we did early on, you know, mm -hmm. it was a there were bluegrass tunes. There was a Madonna tune. There was, uh, uh -huh. you know, there was a Talking Heads tune. Uh, you know, like all kinds of stuff, and, and and it reflected the interests of both Steve and Ed, which was are fascinating. And and it was great. And part of being in Brandy Leaves for me was just an incredible learning experience about all this stuff that we didn't know. I mean, Jim and I had our musical heritage, which involved classical music, jazz music, and all the stuff I talked about with the with we shortened it eventually to the Backstreet Band, <laughs> but uh, and then we realized, holy crap! You know, like Stephen had so many other influences, and the, the stereo in the, in the van was such an incredible place of learning. You know, it was as we toured and listened to the stuff, and, and then the whole rap as well. We did mm. we learned so much about uh, rap, and Ed was a, a funny dude, right? He's into bluegrass <laughs> and rap at the same time. And, and uh, Steve was in Smiths, of course, you know. And of course, he, uh, <laughs> and, you know, and we would bring in our, our musical stuff, you know, and it was, uh, it was a really rich, rich uh, palette. And you just, mentioned briefly a, a minute ago, and also like on, on that interview that you did with Jeff's musical car, uh, you did a really great job of explaining your reason for leaving Bare Naked Ladies. And I, and I definitely encourage people to go out and listen to that interview because I don't want to repeat it because yeah, it really right. was a great interview. A big part of that was that you wanted to go down a different path. Was part of the difference wanting to, to write more, um, wanting to do more jazz-inspired music, more percussions? Like, what was the what was the difference that was behind it? Not speaking badly of the band because you guys just, just went in different directions, but like, what was that difference? 
Uh, well, one of the things you can already hear, I've said it a bunch of times, I used, I wanted to always move forward. Uh, I wanted to use experiences as learning, you know, and so for me, Bernanke Lady University was an incredible time of learning. And But I think once I realized uh, a little bit about the pattern of where things were headed, the kind of songs that were coming out and, uh, you know, just where it was headed, I kind of kind of took a look and I realized that it wasn't something uh, that I wanted to just continue doing uh, as a pattern. Um, that's one thing is, is a pattern in my life is, is what it was sort of the desire for a lack of pattern, right? Um, so that's part of it. Uh, part of it is uh, just a sort of a, an ego. I realized as we were getting popular that I was starting to believe in myself uh, and, and my talents and uh, started to think that well, I had something to offer. And um, for a while there, tried to like as brothers cregan was an attempt to just make some demos actually for the next parent ladies album uh, we realized that we had something uh, that wasn't quite very ladies and we lived with that and was okay with that um and i tried to insert you know little things like and i almost kind of tongue-in-cheek called the tune that i contributed on uh, maybe you should drive a little tiny song because I felt like that was the <laughs> that I had. one of the important things that Andy said here was I almost kind of tongue-in-cheek called the tune that I contributed on maybe you should drive little tiny song because I felt like that was the place that I had I was gonna ask you about that <laughs> so, uh, so it, it was uh it's partly just about slowly believing in sort of developing a young man's ego about what I could do. Uh, and eventually that became more important. And I thought that I could just leave the band and become, a, you know, an artist as big or as, as them. But of course that was a dumb thing and I've learned about it. And I've learned also just naturally where I gravitate and what I want to do. And so that was part of it. Another part of it was I was always interested in uh, classical music and jazz music and instrumental music, not necessarily having a song to sing all the time. So uh, that's what Andy work is partly about. That's what the composing is about. I remember one of the days uh, I came up with a, something that I was writing on the, on the vibraphone and I was, uh, I just showed it to, to the guys in the band and they were like, yeah, that's good. What are you going to sing on top of it? It's like, no, no, that's it. <laughs> um, and so there was definitely a, a different approach there. So I was interested in, in doing in like almost uh, the opening the windows piece was almost like a, the first time mm. we had money to pay for yeah. studio time. Uh, we had our instruments. It's like, let's have fun. <laughs> I think that's probably why I like that song so much. I can feel that sense of freedom and you just kind of spreading your wings on that. I really enjoyed that track. Yeah. So actually, let me ask you this, Andy. Is that what I sing a lot is about? <laughs> that you did sing a lot and you wanted to write some instrumental music or, or what? <laughs> no, no. That was, that was completely an improvised tune that I remember singing in a New York cab. Okay. <laughs> You know, and at some point we kind of said, oh, yeah, maybe you can sing that with that bass line. The gym was some funky bass line you had going. And uh, no, it wasn't a political reaction to it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing I've learned. Is sometimes it's just a song. Yeah. Uh, so actually, yeah, kind of, I'm going to interrupt Aaron real quick. Yeah, please go ahead. Trey. I'm going to keep bringing it back to BNL because I'm the BNL guy. I think uh, the, the, the most out of all of us. 
you tended to bring your own flavor to the band, doing like a bunch of different things, different rhythms. And I love the techniques and the variety of percussion and other sounds that you brought to the band. It really kind of brought a wall of sound that blended really beautifully in. It's fair to say that I actually, I distinctly miss the Andy flavor that you always added to those, those early demos and the, the first two albums. When I think of it, like my, my favorite example is Brian Wilson. Without you, that song is missing an essential ingredient uh, with all the different things that you add in there. By the way, that is objectively one of the best songs in the entire catalog. <laughs> <laughs> For all the reasons. Most like, would agree so, with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know that one of the many flavors that you brought was percussion. And on Great Provider, uh, you did a lot of interesting things with the piano. Uh, but on Brothers Cregan albums, like you did so many parts. So, for example, like the slow beats, the slow piano with the fast beats on long and slow. Mm -hmm. um, you're playing on Stuck on You. I guess what I was wondering is like on Great Provider, which we just discussed last week, what would you have done with the percussion if you could have? Um, and, and if you or if you and Jim had covered it for like Brothers Creekin, like what would you have done a little bit differently with that? I don't know. I, first of all, I, I was there. Uh, we did it in the early days of uh, Bernicolais and then put it aside for the Gordon years and then brought it back for Maybe You Should Drive. So I was involved in so the early years of it and I was involved um, a lot in the, in the version that we used in Maybe You Should Drive. So percussion-wise, I think what we did as a band, I, I really like. You know, we kind of oh. went, Tyler was doing a great job on it. So I didn't really feel like percussion-wise it required a whole lot more. But I did a lot of, and Jim did as well, just working the harmony of that A minor thing. And uh, I really enjoyed the texture that we came up with. It was, uh, it was really uh, a nice, very rich song. And then it was quite emotional for Ed. It's, I think, uh, yeah. it's about his father. And, uh, yeah. and I just really felt like that we found some harmony that really uh, helped the song, you know? So, mm -hmm. uh, no, it's a gorgeous song. Doing anything mm -hmm. else on percussion, would, if I, if there was no Tyler, then what would I've done on the drums? Probably not the same kind of thing that he did. Probably not as good as, as he actually did. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, didn't, I, don't, I don't feel like there's anything missing percussion-wise. Um, but so that one, I'd, I would like to have if, had an orchestra available. I think Ooh. add some strings to that one and, and it make it real nice. There's some really nice, I like the richness of the, uh, it kind of goes from A minor down, the bass line goes down and it goes to F sharp and then a nice F major seven. That's some, some real nice harmony. So I'd like to, I, I enjoy that part. And I'm really proud of the, uh, just the live take that we did. Uh, that take was really fun. And uh, I was enjoying the sound of the roads at the time. And uh, it was some fun, fun stuff. It was a real nice performance in studio of the band. I felt that was a, uh, that was real nice. Well, I think I would. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Does that answer your question? Yeah. No, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I would be remiss in my duties. Uh, Tracy knows. Probably every three or four episodes, I bring up they might be giants. So I have to ask because I feel like I hear a lot, especially in the early days, a lot of they might be giants influence. So that might be partially Stephen. But I'm wondering how much of that was you, Andy. Are you a big They Might Be Giants fan? Or... Not so much. No, really? Wow. <laughs> I learned about Incredible. They Might Be Giants through, through the other guys. Yeah. So we would listen to They Might Be Giants, you know, in the band, in the band and stuff. But uh, I couldn't really tell you very much about them. Uh, I knew they have an accordion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they do. <laughs> I haven't really 
And I know that the guys absolutely, uh, when they went in to do their children's album, mm. they might be giants. Mm-hmm. Children's stuff was a big influence. Uh, and they respect a lot of what they might be giants do. And I, and I know, of course, there's a lot of humor in their music as well. So it was always an interesting study to say how they navigated being, you know, artistic and funny at the same time. So it was always interesting to check out what was happening on their end. Uh, but I can't really, personally, I'm not really into, uh, or I, I mean, I like it and I, I remember liking it, but I haven't really listened to it in age. No, that's, that's good to know. I, I was curious. Yeah. So, but they were definitely on the radar, no question about it. Yeah. But not for me. That's interesting. I, I was curious to know where that influence was coming from. I would say Steve and Tyler. Steve, yeah. Ned, just the, the three of them. Uh, so, Bare Naked Ladies was inducted into the Canadian Music Hall of Fame last year. That's mm-hmm. 2018, for those of you watching in the Roaring Twenties. Uh, and I was pleased that both you and Steven were present for that. And you played piano on If I Had a Million Dollars on stage with the rest of the band. And Jenny Lee was there to induct you in as well. Was that a little surreal? How did that feel? Yes. I mean, he's a musical hero from way back, right? I remember listening to Exit Stage Left, the album. And oh, yeah. Of course, I was drummer and no drummer. <laughs> yeah. Neil Pert, man. <laughs> uh, Neil Pert was from our neck of the woods, right? So exactly. I was at school with him, and uh, you know, I was we were pretty close to him. So I remember just wow. Yeah, I mean, before I even knew what a drum set was, I, I remember banging on pillows, pretending I was him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did the same with uh, pots and pants. I'm with yeah. you. That's interesting. Yeah, I consider Rush the tragedy hip and Bare Naked Ladies to be like the Triforce of the Canadian the rock Canadian music rock. trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> So, the trifecta. Yeah, the Trinity. Completely Holy left Justin Bieber out of that, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I did. No, um, it's interesting. Uh, so you, you settled in Moncton, is that correct? Yep. That's excellent. I have some. I spent many a summer up in Moncton with my aunt and uncle. It's a beautiful part of the country. I love New Brunswick, so uh, excellent choice there. Well, you, you kind of had a... Away from here. <laughs> You kind of had a reunion there too, because you, you you mentioned New Brunswick, New Brunswick the uh, symphony orchestra, and you oh yeah uh, conducted Stephen um, yeah not too long ago. How did that come about? Well, I think the uh, the original idea was to get Bare Naked Ladies in because they heard that there was a bunch of arrangements that I did, so they were able to make the connection. Bare Naked Ladies and me being there, former member, blah blah blah. They tried to get the ladies, but for some reason they didn't. But Steve was around, and they said, "Wow, next best thing, let's get Steve. Steve Page, perfect." Yeah. So. <laughs> Steve came in and yeah, those were fun shows. I did an arrangement for for that show called Gravity and uh, conducted it. It was a great, a great experience. It was, uh, everybody had a good time. And of course, I'm going to bring us back to Bare Naked Ladies again. You were doing, man. Your wife actually was on one of the albums. Yes. So your wife said something in French on It's All Been Done. Right. Um, and Steven says he doesn't know what she says. Do you know what she said? Yes, I do. I remember, <laughs> but he's not saying. <laughs> no, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, but this is a story. Remember, uh, first of all, she always gets more royal- royalties for that than I, than I get from Bernie Ladies, which is funny. <laughs> but, uh, like, she gets performance royalties for first talking to the phone, saying one thing. Anyway, um, I remember Jim, we were in studio. Jim called me up. We were in our Montreal apartment. He said, Yeah, Andy, how's it going? Yeah, hey, Jim. Uh, can you? Pass the phone to Natasha. It's like, uh, <laughs> oh, sure. okay. <laughs> so, okay. 
so she's like, uh, hello. And so basically they said, but can you say something like uh, in French, uh, like something like you're, you're tired of this or, you know, you're just kind of, so she tried a different things. And the thing that she ended up saying is je suis tanné or, and, and she said it quite fast, je suis tanné. And it's really hard to hear. Even, you know, we showed it to our kids and was like, ah, I can't really hear that. It's like, oh. <laughs> But it's, uh, that's what she's saying, shutani, which means I'm basically, I'm tired of this, or I'm fed up, or I'm sick of it. <laughs> now, where in the song is that? Like you said, it's hard to hear. It's right after the, I think, the bridge. Uh, when you up and say, and then there's a little moment there. Okay. In that, if you listen, I can't remember if it's on the rest, left or the right, but it's in there, and you can hear the sound of someone speaking on the phone. Uh, right, right after what you just yawn and say, basically. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then, yeah. Then, then, je suis which means <laughs> I'm just fed up. I'm, I've had it. <laughs> when we come up on that song, I'm going to make sure I post that in right there yeah. <laughs> so we can hear it. So is, is, is she Quebecois, or does she just happen to speak French? She's a, a Francophone yeah. from New Brunswick. Okay. So uh, they don't consider themselves Quebecois. They consider themselves Acadian. Acadian, that's correct. Yeah. So it's a you know long history in the Maritimes where they had a colony in Nova Scotia, and mm -hmm. then there was something called the deportation that happened at one point. So there's a lot of right. French people uh, in Massachusetts, even Maine, uh, and down in course, and there's the connection with, with uh, the Acadian, and that's where yeah. Cajun comes from. Acadien. Correct. Yeah. So it's all connected to the francophones that lived in Nova Scotia. And, so and then got deported from Maine. That's where my wife's descendant. Yeah, I actually live in Lewiston, Maine, who, which is one of the, it's either the top or second uh, for, for French-speaking people in Maine, the, oh, for my populace, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I used to live in Biddeford, which is the other one. So whether it's... <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I speak a little French, but not much. <laughs> I took like a couple of semesters in college, you know. That's cool. Uh, basically, like we have two sons and they go to French school and basically they live in French. Like, uh, nice. We're bringing mm -hmm. them French, basically. It's a very lyrical language, I love it. I got to ask, as a fellow percussionist, someone who plays the keys, do you, Andy, have a, a particular key that you really like to play in? <laughs> and then as a two-parter question, do you have a favorite scale or mode just to listen to? Uh, like for me, it's Mixolydian flat six. So I'm a big fan. It's leading flat six. Yeah, it's like half major, half minor. It's really cool. It's very unique. So flat six, so if we're C, so C, D, E, F, G, A flat. Right. Flat. It's almost got like that harmonic minor thing going on, but in a major scale. So it just, I don't know. I'm just, I'm a music nerd and I went to music school. So I'm happy to speak to someone else who did. <laughs> <laughs> right in there naturally, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. Oh, here we go. Nice. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. <laughs> do, you, do you have a preferred, both for, for listening and playing, do you have a preferred mode or scale uh, or key? Well, there are certain certain keys that are harder than others. Yeah. Um, C sharp. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I'll say uh, I like playing piano um, in F sharp. Yep. And that's because my dad, that's the key he plays in. So, like, uh, I learned he plays by ear in F sharp. So, 
whenever I want to just kind of just play and have fun, mm. play some of the old tunes uh, that my dad used to play. It's always an F sharp. So I should definitely mention that key if we're talking about keys. C sharp minor is pretty nice. It's pretty natural on the piano. It's a real nice, rich key. As far as modes go, uh, right now I'm pretty excited about uh, minor sixth. So yeah, E, e flat, G, A, that chord. Mm -hmm. And Andy work for like for a while there, I was tossing around the idea of, of that basically being the central chord of the whole album. <laughs> Yeah, uh, moved away, moved away from that. But uh, there, there's that sixth chord, that major six appears a lot. So cool. I'm excited about that particular chord. But uh, I like them all. I know it's a <laughs> super nerdy question to ask, but uh, no, thank you for that. And, and then one more before I back up and let these guys do a little talking. <laughs> uh, I, I know it's been some time since the last Brothers Cregan album. I think like 16 or 17 years. And you mentioned there's an Andy Works four to look forward to. Any mm -hmm. chance of a, a Brothers Cregan? volume four coming out absolutely awesome uh, volume five it's just is it five what's that yeah, yeah. oh yeah you guys have five. four that's right we've got definitely enough songs and we talk about it every time we get together that we should do it but then we don't get around to doing yeah. it. yeah the, the brothers cregan have sort of become the fathers cregan in the <laughs> as obsessed we were Priorities. our own music we're you know equally as creative and interested and obsessed about our own kids right now so um and jim's so busy with bernie ladies uh that it's sometimes hard to justify to the family doing another project <laughs> the, just time seems so precious you know when you've got the kids so uh, me i don't necessarily have a bernie ladies right now i'm doing all kinds of different things and so for me brother's cream would be a bigger piece and easily justifiable but it's uh, it's just hard to find the time you know, we, we see each other. We see each other as, as uh, you know, as uncles. And uh, we try to do his Brothers Creek as much as we can. But it's it's a big deal. It's a big deal finding the time to make that happen. But uh, we, we definitely want to do it. And it'll happen eventually. You know, maybe who knows when it's going to happen. But uh, uh, any work four will probably happen before Brothers Creek in four five. No, well, we're looking forward to both of them. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Now, our listeners may or may not know that you came back for one other song for B&L after you left. Yeah. Um, can you tell us about your experience with Polywog in a Bog and what you contributed, how that came about? And also in the video, which animal you're supposed to be in that video? Which animal is supposed to represent you? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what animal I, I am. <laughs> I am. An animal? Uh, like, uh, are you sure that I am one? I'm pretty sure there's six animals. Oh, then the answer is I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, Polyland and Bog, of course, is, uh, is one of Jim's contributions to the Kills album, right? And I yes. think at some point they realized that, that it had a bit of a Caribbean feel to it, right? So uh, Tyler had the idea to get some steel pan in there. And, of course, the, the person that they know the best who plays steel pan is me. So... Uh, <laughs> I walked in with my steel pen, even though I didn't really know how to play it all that well. I still don't, but I use it a lot. But uh, so I just set up the steel pen and uh, did a bunch of passes and uh, played the, the steel pen solo on on uh, the Bach. And then we also sang uh, on uh, Eraser. I was one of the backup singers on Eraser. That was I did not know that. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I was wondering, Andy, have you done any or have you given thought to doing any scoring work for film or games or anything like that? Because I think you'd be incredible at it. 
Thanks. Yeah, I, I think about it. I just don't know people who do it. Mm. I think that's the key. Yeah, networking. I know people that uh, are orchestral musicians, and then that's sort of where I've been going lately is, uh, is orchestrating for them or writing pieces for them. And the closest I've come most recently is uh, music for theater. Um, there's the director, Kim Collier, and who lives uh, either in Vancouver or Toronto. Um, I did uh, three different plays with her and fantastic experiences. Just so rich. If there are any dancers out there that want me to write for them, I'm right into that. Um, <laughs> so there's some stuff coming up. Hopefully I'll be able to write for the Atlantic Ballet. I'm, I'm hoping that that's going to work out. But uh, I, res- I love when we mix those mediums and uh, I love it so much. So I'm hoping to do more and more. I was going to go off on that too, just because you're extremely eclectic. Um, um, and, and, and first of all, if I didn't say it, I'm, I'm absolutely honored to be talking to you because I, I take some flack from, from these guys and other Bare Naked Lady fans. Because <laughs> my, my favorite album is um, Maybe You Should Drive, which <laughs> and uh, your, your piano work on, on Life in a Nutshell and um, oh, fantastic. Yeah. But then going on beyond that and then, and then everything you've done with Brothers Krieg and then the styles you used there and then Andy work, I, I kind of feel, I kind of get like three different styles in each album. The first one being um, like it's very ethereal, uh, feels very experimental. The second one feels, has a very jazzy classical feel. And then the third one, like you said, you were having fun with uh, a lot of electronica, um, Bell being a standout for me. I, I love Bell. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I love that. I love That's actually one of my driving songs. But but uh, and and Aaron had mentioned video games. But I guess my other question is: um, any other forays you've looked at? Like I'm also a big musical theater fan. Has that ever been something you wanted to go look into? Like uh, something more musical theater or stage show? Or and we look forward to an Andy Cregan Einstein on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> was that Einstein on the beach? Was that that was uh, Philip Glass's uh, six-hour opera? Oh, right. No intermission. <laughs> no, I don't. Okay. Or, or scoring, you know, scoring movies or, or anything like that. Like, um, anything, any other, any other sounds or, or styles or genres that you have not yet really tackled that are that are kind of on your radar. I would say I would like to compose more classical music, and uh, it's slowly coming, and uh, just always getting better at orchestrating and all those things. So I'm I'm hoping for that kind of a scenario. Uh, I also love to record and and just kind of do. Uh, instrumental music as well so uh, I like that songwriting for me I think is is, is a really monumental task and I, I don't I feel like other people do it better than me so when I write a song it just takes years and years and years for me to just hone it and I'm pretty shy about actually presenting it too so I'd like to have some of the songs I've written in the last I don't know 20 years have them see the light of day a little bit so it's yeah. either with the next Brothers Creek or maybe I'll put out an Andy Work album or with songs on it, I don't know, but uh, you know, the things I that are on my radar are are just more recording, more kind of Andy work vibes, and more orchestral and classical stuff. Just really getting you know, like composing is such a long process, you know, and I feel still like I'm a young composer, and it's just I'm starting to get old. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I still feel like I've got so much more to explore in that vein so uh, i'm hoping things will gradually come and uh, i'm starting to get a nice association with the new brunswick symphony and so hopefully i'll be able to to write some pieces for them and 
just one piece alone for an orchestra is a big deal. It's, you know, composer. Yeah. So um, I'm hoping you can get that chance in the next next little while. My kids are starting to get older as well, and so one of the things that's kind of on my radar is that uh, once they get sort of old enough, the two of them or close to leaving the house, then I'm going to start to maybe maybe travel a bit more, maybe study more conducting. I don't know, uh, maybe go out and tour a little bit more or just, uh, but uh, that's kind of on my radar, but we'll see, we'll see what, what happens. You know? Well, I definitely think the, um, the time, like you mentioned, is a payoff in your music because I see it, it's very complex and it's very intricate and you can see the time that was spent in it, like I said. Sleep Sweet for me is a standout. I think that's a fantastic piece from the percussion start, just how that goes on and just builds and then some of the strings that come in there. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, like, like this, this is not a question. This is just me saying, I just love your work for what you put into it. So. <laughs> Thank you. We look forward to it. If there's new oh, yeah. things, definitely look forward to hearing anything that you put out there. Uh, because like, I, I love all the stuff that's out there for both the Brothers Creek and the Andy work. Like yes. it's, it's very different, but it's so interesting in that it's so varied. Cool. Well, I appreciate that. And you saying so isn't uh, taken lightly. Words of encouragement to go far. That's what I appreciate. One of the things that you mentioned in a previous interview was the Wittershin. And I tried <laughs> high and low to find more information about the Wittershin Did you, and couldn't find anything. Can you Can you tell me about this group? <laughs> it was a great bunch uh, in Vancouver uh, when I was living there in 1996. Bernie Boulanger was the name of the guitar player. I still have a, a cassette lying around somewhere with us. You'd probably be interested in hearing that. Definitely. Was, uh, and then uh, Neil Burnett. So Bernie Boulanger and Neil Burnett were the two leaders of the group. Neil plays harp and penny whistle and stuff like that. And it was a, uh, it was kind of a, it was a very folky and slightly Gaelic kind of instruments. And uh, I played a little percussion. I played the hammered dulcimer. Um, Ooh. And what else did I play? God, I was doing nutty things. Uh, but, you know, it was it was a great, fun group to be in, you know, slightly dysfunctional. And it didn't last too long. But uh, <laughs> there's a band called the Colorifics that came out of Vancouver, and that was Bernie Boulanger and his girlfriend, Lindsay Davis, who became an artist... Uh, I can't remember what her stage name was. Anyway, her name is Lindsay Davis, but uh, she was the singer. Some of those names, but the colorifics, Lindsay Davis, uh, Bernie Boulanger, Neil Burnett, those are the, those are the guys in, uh, in Vancouver who were involved in that. It was a great time. Really crazy time. <laughs> but, uh, you know, just trying to get out of Bernie and ladies uh, and dealing with that in my head uh, was a big deal. It, was, it took a while. Do you mind if I ask you a little bit about some Brothers Creek and stuff? Sure. Some of these are quick questions. So, like, first of all, who is the person who is saying sous la pluie? Is that right? Sous la pluie, yeah. Which means under the rain, you know. Sous la pluie, du beau temps, paisible comme une brise. That's my wife singing, Natasha. Oh. Ah, beautiful voice. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> now, on your first album, you have John Millard, 
who's singing uh, and actually wrote Clown Song. And uh, can you tell us a little bit more about who he is, how he came to kind of help out with this with this song and write this song and bring it to you guys? Like, can you tell us more about that? Absolutely. John Millard, wonderful dude. Uh, we just loved his voice. We were a big fan of his band, uh, The Polka Dogs. We were in Toronto at the time. And uh, we just brought him in because we loved his voice. We loved the way he told stories. And uh, we he helped us finish. Did he help us finish the tune? I can't remember if he's got a writing credit or not. He just was a great person to, to sing it. You know, so we were playing away and he sang it. And it was, it was a fun time in the studio. And he was into giving it a shot. You know, we were kind of a little bit uh, new. And he, uh, he was older and just a really cool, creative guy. And it was, was willing to give it a shot. And so. Yeah, great artist, John Millard. You should check him out. Now, I noticed that there are a lot of, there's a pattern with some of these songs that you that you write, like Little Tiny Song, You Fall in Love, Will You Come Back to Me. They tend to be really short songs, but at the same time, take it in a bunch of different directions. Almost mm-hmm. like the, the Beatles, like, why don't we do it in the road? Yeah. And, and so I'm kind of wondering, like, what, what your choice is around that and, like, what inspired you to kind of write these songs where you, you stick to a simple theme but then branch out to all these different ideas? I don't know. Some some songs, you uh, they're quick ideas and they just happen and you kind of go, oh, I guess that's that, you know. 30 seconds, just leave it there. Um, and the other ones you, you want to flesh out, you know, that you feel like they're not they're not finished unless you've, you know, you've explored more parts or added things or, you know. But those ones, I don't know, they just felt like they were short and fine. Said what they had to say in this small amount of time. Or I was lazy or... (laughs) It's hard to imagine with all the stuff that you do that the word lazy would ever apply to you. (laughs) Uh, You know, yeah, it's it's not necessarily... I don't do a whole lot of things lightly, you know, artistically. It's usually done, sometimes flippantly or lightly, but then there's a whole lot of deliberating and listening to it and going letting it stand the test of time and and sometimes the flippant little moment in time go you know makes it through but sometimes as time goes it's like eh, it's losing it's, it's rusting you know so then i rework it right so uh, maybe but sometimes laziness is part of it <laughs> <laughs> what was the song that you performed on jeff's musical car by the way i was trying to find it and tried to discover i was like what is this um, and I'll, I'll fully, fully admit, I lost the, the second Brothers Cregan album, so maybe it's on there, and like, no. and I missed it because of that. It'll be if it's on an album, it'll be on Brothers Cregan Five. Nice. Oh, it's not, it's not on any album. It's called Convey. It's one of the, one of those tunes. It's just lying and waiting. Is there anywhere people can go to hear that other than that interview, or is that the only recording publicly available? Uh, you could probably find. Uh, I'm sure we did it on the ships and dips cruises at some point some of those uh brothers green sets i don't know if you have those recorded but uh i'm sure we did that tune then there's there's quite a few of them on youtube so i'm not yeah it could very well part be yeah. part of that. Yep, it is on the on... Ships and Dips 5 tour. You guys did play Convey as Brothers Cregan. Well, there you go. Nice. <laughs> I will be posting that. Another Brothers Cregan question. The song Coastline. 
what are those squeaks? I was sitting there and I was listening to it. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm like, what is Jim running his bow up and down the, the side of the cello? Like, what is, what is those? What is that noise? That well, uh, sound. It's not noise, but it's a great sound. It's it's the byproduct of a crappy guitar player. Is what it what it is. It's me going from it's me going from one chord to the other, and not being able to take this this which. Whip, whip. It's just me swiping the strings <laughs> as we go from one chord to the other. And we did so, we tried so hard to take it out. Like we put, you know, put olive oil on my fingers. And, <laughs> but, you know, I just wasn't good enough to try and get, a, get, get that sound away. But it's just one of those extra musical sounds that if you concentrate, it, it's like, oh my God, it's so loud. But then if you just listen to music, sometimes you sort of tune those things out. But in actual fact, I like extra musical sounds, like uh, mm -hmm. when or an accordion, when you hear the, the things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The mm -hmm. And any other sounds or like the, the sound of a, a pedal on a piano, when you actually start listening to the right. music and you start forget about the notes, I just like all that stuff anyway. So that's one of those extra musical things that just happens when you play guitar. That, you know? Well, that's like that Bob Ross saying of happy mistake. And it really... It <laughs> that to me on that song is a happy mistake like i love hearing that noise yeah and if you if you let it go sometimes it sounds like you know seals uh, going <laughs> uh, andy can i ask you a bit about your songwriting process i'm just curious because for me personally when i write a song the lyrics other than the title the lyrics are probably the last thing to come but I know some people write the lyrics first, some people write them simultaneously. Uh, that's just a tendency. I mean, obviously, sometimes you get an inspiration with a line and a lyric. But typically speaking, do you, I mean, you seem like you're pretty instrumental forward. Do you think you, you tend to write the instruments first and then, and then the lyrics or vice versa? That's a good question. Um, I think it varies. I'm going to give you a typical uh, ambiguous answer. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, I've, some songs, like, for example, Will You Come Back to Me, that, that I just sang it once and then mm. uh, and then went back and listened and remembered the, the melody and, and figured out what, what the harmony was and then created an arrangement around it and then flushed it out and added a little bit more. Um, but it came from actually just singing it out of my mouth. And that's happened occasionally on some tunes. Will you come back to me? Will you come back to me? Other tunes, like for example, Stuck or Stay Long and Slow. How's the chicken? You clean up the kitchen. What is the boring? The brown is boring. Fold it a proto. Those come out of coming up with a guitar riff and then gradually fitting in melodies and then, or just sometimes, I mean, in, in the case of Stuck, it was really about singing over top of it no words and then gradually words come out as your mouth changes mm -hmm. vowels yeah and, kind of realize, mm -hmm. oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. and then it's like oh yeah that kind of that kind of works and then gradually it becomes a subject and then you can sort of flush it out with the other words i'm stuck on Who's been the messy one, but who's been the messy one? 
both those things exist and everything in between. Let me think of some other songs. Yeah, it's usually sitting at a piano or guitar. And yeah. Singing and then trying to figure what goes with what I sang or starting with a riff or a melody or a chord progression and trying to figure out what the sound comes in. Or you're jamming with someone and then something comes out. So it's not like Paul McCartney where you see a bluebird fly by and you're like, I'm going to write a song about that. <laughs> no, usually it's... Uh, <laughs> It's really rare that I've actually sat down to say, I'm going to write a song about my brother um, pissing me off. I don't <laughs> You heard that, Jim. Honestly, it's not a you know conscious thing, in, in my case anyway, but some people. So that actually brings me into a question I had about the lyrics for Taking Out the Garbage. Taking out the garbage. I'm cleaning up my place. Put it on a curtain Take it to someone else's space That seems to me quite dark, potentially. Or is that just to be taken literally as someone who doesn't like to think about the dirty stuff they have to do? I think it's it's Jim's sort of uh, his uh, environmental period. Yeah. He was thinking about the good that he wanted to do in the world and was being heavily influenced by uh, Gord. Uh, mm. Gordowney? Gordowney, yeah. Oh, I still love the whole I see your dog. That's really funny. Trying to be Gordowney. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think I think it was kind of a, an environmental stance. You know? Are there any songs off from the Brothers Creaking albums that we can kind of listen to that would be like, yeah, I would. I came to the to Brothers Creaking with that. We we worked on it together, but I I kind of came with that major kind of idea started already. I think what he's asking um, is. Was it was it all very very collaborative fifty fifty or were there a few songs that were definitely like your DNA all over it? Oh well, chances are if you sing lead on a song, it's kind of your baby. Oh, and the other nice. might contribute a bridge or contribute something to it or add some lyrics to it, but it basically starts you know there. So if I had uh, you know you be adored is this Jim's song, uh, and I added the bridge and added those harmonies. My But it's basically Jim, a Jim song. She married a cowboy. She married a cowboy and won't do nothing wrong. Too late, it's too late. She married a cowboy is kind of collaborative in the sense that I started it and was kind of making fun of Jim because he was but <laughs> his his ex-girlfriend then married a cowboy, an actual cowboy. And I was like, oh, she married. That could be a song. So with his current girlfriend, he wrote, you know, he wrote the verses. That's and, great. So that, that one was kind of a neat collaboration. And then uh, and Long and Slow is basically me saying, okay, this is a song and this is what we're, what we're going to do it. And, uh, um, and some of the other ones too, Gray, same. Jim added a bridge to that one. So I think you can use that as a blueprint. If we sing lead on it, 
chances are that it was it was us starting. Mm-hmm. Are there any lyrics that stand out for you as like you would say? And I know this is always like trying to pick your kids, but any lyrics that <laughs> stand out as uh, these these are uh, some of my favorite lyrics I've written. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've had to, I'd have to get back to you on that, but uh, I'm pretty proud of the back, like probably Brothers Creek, and I'm pretty back, proud of the back half of that album. Like I, if I started, you know, like around sometimes mm. and let her roll through yeah. in gray by song, uh, will you come back to me uh, long and slow? I think there's maybe sometimes is there. I find it's just a real nice collection of songs that, that give you a real groove. I really like lyrics, though. I'm pretty proud of just great. It's not I'm trying trying to be like poetry, but uh, I find it. Uh, I think I hit something there. I also like buy song. Come down here and go. Come down. Pretty proud of it artistically. I find that uh, sometimes. It's, it was some good work there. Yeah, sometimes it's lyrically brilliant. I love that. Sometimes I'm sincere, but you're in style. I know Jim particularly likes, uh, although I'm always a little bit shy about the actual song itself, but the Boat for Beauty, I think, is... Yes. Got some from mm, sleepyhead, yeah. Mm-hmm. Got some staying power. Yeah, to it. you know, there, there's some real emotion in there, and this is a vote for beauty. That grace will come. I think it's got something there. Um, I like to sing a lot, well, not so much. I like to sing a lot, yeah. That was that was <laughs> <laughs> but you know there's something there. <laughs> it sticks with you. Yeah. On that the topic of that first Brothers Cregan album, when I first heard Fallen. Fallen out of Fallen out of your tree. I have to say my first thought when i heard the piano on that track oh man i'm hearing some ben folds in there but that album was released a year before ben folds five's first album ever you think ben uh was listening to you i'm, <laughs> I'm being quasi facetious here but it really does have a similar feel uh, have you met ben have you interacted with him at all do you like his work just kind love, of love his work for sure uh, Oh yeah, man! When uh, philosophy came out, it was just oh, I love that song. Floored, oh, I love that song. The sound of the bands, yeah. the approach to the backups, you know, like uh, starting words and finishing them, you know, <laughs> way later. Phil, <Yeah>. awesome, awesome. <laughs> like, uh, and his voice was so great, and the use of the piano and the band, and just there was so many aspects to it that we just loved. And then uh, there's some humor in there, and just great, uh, great music. And, so for sure, Ben Fold's a big fan, but did he was he influenced by Paul? <laughs> I don't know. You never know. You never. I'm I'm calling it now. <laughs> did he do the cruise the same time that you did? Like, was he on one of the cruises the same time you were on the cruise with the ships and dips? Uh, I don't think so. Oh, that a, a shame. Yeah, <laughs> I believe he was. I have to look 
it up and like and there was like five of them so it's like i can't remember yeah. who was on which yeah, i don't think i was on the one with him but that would have been pretty excited about that what kind of music do you listen to to relax or just to kind of put yourself in a, in a creative state of mind or just for, for recreation? Like what do you and, like to Andy Works. listen to? Well, that. Well, <laughs> yeah, Andy Works 4. There you go. I listen to my own music, really. When I have a moment to kind of just check out stuff, I listen to and, and sort of see how it's aging, you know, and try to make some just headway with it. But uh, in music that I enjoy, I listen to classical music. That's what I've been listening mm-hmm. to. Or uh, I still listen to Pat and revisit Pat Metheny. He's one of my you know, young high school musical heroes. And uh, every now and then I go back and listen to some of those, some of those albums, like Still Life Talking is, is, a, is an album that I always enjoyed. There are certain aspects of it that are a little bit cheesy at, at now that I find, but I still enjoy a lot of it. And I love his approach to percussion. Mm. I just felt that it was just like it was like the ultimate music. It was jazz. It was instrumental, but there was interesting arrangements. There were there were bridges. Uh, Lyle Mays was always doing interesting stuff uh, on the keyboard side of things, and uh, there was always lots of room for percussion. And uh, of course, one of my big heroes is uh, I can't remember Nana Vasconcellos, who was always sitting in and making great great percussion sounds and just like, adding so much. Yeah, so I revisit Papatini. I, I also enjoy Paul Simon and his. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Just not necessarily a big fan of his songs per se, but I love the textures that he's created, and uh, I love the musicians that he works with, and I love just uh, the sounds that he gets. But that said, you know, the like Rhythm of the Saints is still a really important album. Grace Time. Those those two albums were so influential for me in big, you know, important times of my life. And I revisit those often. Uh, and I listen to artists that are happening now, you know, like often I'm going to put in a position to, to listen to new stuff and listening to a lot of people just around here. It's just uh, either Francophone artists. There's a lot of great, wonderful artists all over the place. Some of you guys might be interested. The last thing I produced was actually a band from here called uh, Les Payens, called The Pagans, but in French, Payens. And I produced their last two albums. It's a kind of instrumental, uh, progressive kind of jazz. And that's when you had produced? Produced their last two albums. I'm going to type that down and look it up and send it to everyone. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah sounds good. Do you have a favorite Bare Naked Lady song to play? Is there a song that you like? really loved playing that song? Like, you, If you had a chance, you'd, that's the song you'd pick up to play anytime. Huh. Well, I definitely have my favorites. Um, I remember always my highlights during sets were uh, the flag. I always enjoyed yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great I one. I just enjoyed what that was. You know, I, I thought yeah. there was a side of the of the of the Bernie ladies that was uh, often overlooked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was partly our fault. You know, we were always <laughs> we had some really great songs. Stephen was, uh, you know, he had a, a dark side that oh, yeah. was uh, rarely uh, put into focus, but it, it was there. And the flag is an example. Uh, and I thought just musically and the song is great. And um, it's always one of my favorites to listen to. Yeah. Totally mm-hmm. agree with you. Yeah. In our mm-hmm. episode on that song, we actually mentioned how that was a song that we would show somebody who maybe wasn't as aware of the well rounded and kind of diverse nature of. Fair Naked Ladies catalog and show them this is a different side of the band you might not have heard. Yeah. And it's, you know, like I said, it's partly our fault, but uh, I had always enjoyed that lying and it was live and it was a great, 
song to to sing sing on. I love the harmonies we put to it, and enjoyed. You know, Jim was always doing his best on on the bow. You know, really adding some serious emotion. Uh, Ed was just holding the fort, just playing his great great rhythm guitar. That's one song I always enjoyed, and um, I enjoyed "Blame It on Me." That's a song mm. I like. Crazy, crazy always. Yeah. Was one <laughs> yeah. And partly is because of what I was describing earlier. Just like, just you could understand how great a guitar player, rhythm guitar player Ed was, and the mm. way him and Jim were able to really collaborate rhythmically in such a really cool way. And me playing those chords, just sort of floating on top, adding my spice and. Uh, and the backups were so fun to sing all the time. Yeah. <laughs> really, really the harmonies fun. on that are just point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of my favorites uh, of that particular song was playing it uh, at the Glastonbury Music Festival. Um, oh, very cool. And it served as a sound check because we didn't have a sound check. So we said, well, we'll start with crazy because it's kind of you add an instrument by instrument, right? So, and by the end, everything's there. So it, right. it, these kids are sound at a, a chance to get things going i found like that was such a it was our first time in glassbury and we had the slot and people were just hot and hanging out and just sitting down and it's like oh okay what's the next thing and we were nervous and uh it was just the set that we we felt like we just killed it you know and and i mm-hmm. think starting with crazy was was a good good set setup for it and people were on their feet by the end i remember just being so jazzed about that set you know so excited that we were able to win over a tent full of uh, people, a bunch of hippie. <laughs> so, so I remember taking photos from the stage of that just because I was so excited. But Crazy had a lot to do with that. So Crazy is one of my favorites. Playing uh, Great Provider was always a, friend, a mm-hmm. favorite of mine because I felt that it took the band in, into a neat place where everyone had a place, you know, and uh, mm. it wasn't solos, it wasn't a guitar solo. It was just a come. Like that instrumental bit was what I'd always hoped that we could develop into is just yeah. a, a kind of instrumental section where everyone had a little something to do, you know, and there was collaboration and it was reaction, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and uh, I really enjoy, it's like a, it's like a band solo where everyone's kind of doing his thing and adding his grain of salt to it. So I really enjoyed that. It reminds me a lot of like, uh, Brian Wilson. The end of Brian Wilson really reminds me a lot of like every p- you each bringing the best of you yeah, into that's... the end of that song, mm. and it just becomes this beautiful blend. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's a pretty exciting part. I remember, I remember the first time we were, you know, at the end where I just can't stop, <laughs> and it's just like I don't feel like this is the end of the song. Like, let's just keep going, and uh, and then it became that outro. I always thought that sounded very James Bond after that, like the doom, doom. <laughs> but uh, and then Jim came up with this crazy bassline, man. Just really went for it, and I go crazy on the on the congas as well. And it was it was always a fun part, fun thing mm-hmm. to do as well live. No question about that. Must have been exhausting though. Like that song is so up. Like at, by the end of it, it's just like a crescendo of yeah. ultimate speed. That's <laughs> an accelerando, sir. Yeah, but not exactly. <laughs> okay. I'm not. I'm <laughs> Well, that actually, the, because you mentioned the end of Brian Wilson, now that I have me has mm. me curious because one because one of my favorite songs, actually, Bare Naked Ladies Altogether, is "What a Good Boy," mm. and um, the album version stops pretty abruptly. It just does that quick fade out. But if you listen to the live version when they did um, the live album 
um, a little bit later has that law. It comes back and then it just explodes with this long, gorgeous instrumental piece. Was that done while you were still there? Like when you did the live show, was that okay? Because yep. I, I, I always wondered why that was never on the album. Because that's one of the. I guess uh, yeah, epic. we just thought somehow it just wasn't appropriate for yeah. the album version or whatever. Uh, it could have been just, you know, uh, thinking that uh, the radio uh, wouldn't go right. far or some stupid thought like that. But, uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, live was fun to do that one. That one had a real nice emotional bubble, that song. It was always fun to do, too. Yeah. When you were on the Ships and Dip, you chose an interesting song to play. Uh, I mean, you played a lot yeah. on that cruise. But it was interesting that you chose a song to play that wasn't a song that was with when you were with the band. You chose to, to do Conventioneers. What made you choose to do that song? It's a really interesting choice. I don't know. I always uh, I remember Jim was excited about his the bass playing on it. So that I think first first time I listened to it was like, oh, this is an oh, cool, nice bass line, Jim, that's great. And then I realized I really enjoyed the actual song. It was one of my favorites that they had come out with in a while. And I liked the melody. And it kind of came up as it would be fun to do a Bernie Lady song during our set. And it's like, oh, I think that's my fave, that one. And so I did a version on the on the piano, one at one of the ships and dips, and then I did a kind of a Kitano Veloso uh, in a Brazilian kind of samba kind of version on the on the guitar and uh, that's the one that we that i was able to find online it's just yeah. it's so different than the steve version and, and i love the steve version absolutely but mm -hmm. your version is so different that i can't compare the two and say one's better than the other because i absolutely love both of them yeah thanks well that's cool and uh i mean it's just part of me just wanting to learn guitar so finding riffs and try to find uh songs that i could sing over top just to practice the riff and there's one guitar riff that uh, goes really well with Material Girl. So I would, you know, Madonna song. So I learned Material Girl in this sort of Brazilian kind of song. And then that one, uh, it worked well with another certain kind of guitar style. So I learned the song there. And I always liked it anyway on the piano. And so that convention here, yeah, it was fun. Or no, no, everything had changed. That's another one I did too. Uh. Yeah. That's right. Did the, everything had changed on the piano and then did, yeah, conventioners on the guitar. Now I got to look that one up. <laughs> now on my list of things to look up for the week. I was noticing, like, going through here that you were, like, on everything. They, You guys all interchanged constantly, like, who was playing what on, on Ships and Dip. So, like, you'd be there for Brothers Creek in, but then you'd do some solo stuff, then you'd come in for some Bare Naked Lady stuff, and mm -hmm. Tyler might come in, Jim might leave out for some stuff, at Mike. Evan might come in like yeah. it was constantly flowing who was playing you guys must have been exhausted by the end of that <laughs> cruise yeah I know I remember Jim uh, you know like we roomed together for uh, at least one of those ships and dips and, and a good part of his being in the room was uh, you know like had writing out charts for whatever artist was playing so that he could you know part of the joy of being on that thing was to sit in with other, other artists and, and just enjoy what they were doing so yeah. It's, was it exhausting? No. Yeah, it was. It was exhausting, but it was a hugely rich experience, you know, learning and playing with some of these great musicians. No, you guys looked like you were having a wonderful time. Absolutely. Unfortunately, that happened about the same time that I had kids. So I was like, yeah, I'm not going to be able to go on this cruise that I really wish I had been on. Yeah. I think uh, one of them, our youngest son, was like like three months, and that was the cutoff, you know. <laughs> yeah, allowed us, you know. So, but uh, you got on there and it went well. Is there any luck in getting to see 
a video recording online anywhere of the concert that you conducted with, with Steve singing front and you conducting the orchestra last year? Oh, I don't know. Could be. I haven't seen any or there's a bunch of pictures that were taken, but I'm sure someone probably took a video of it at some point, but I haven't come across any. I don't have any leads there, but that was fun. Yeah, I hope we'll do more conducting. That's something I'm enjoying lately. It's, it's fun to as you know, where our podcast discusses Bare Naked Ladies songs specifically, are there any other favorite memories that you would love to share about your time with Bare Naked Ladies? Oof, it was a rich time. So many experiences, so much traveling, so much, so much to say. You know, so <laughs> my favorite times. Anytime we got to do something that was just completely out of the ordinary, you know, that uh, a kid growing up in the suburbs would never have been able to do. So whether it was playing shows in Nogales, uh, New Mexico, you know, in a bar there, or just opening up for some amazing musicians or... Uh, playing the rooftops of Portland, Maine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or uh, meeting Katalini as we were mastering our album, big deal. Or, or going to see Eddie Palmieri in, in New York. You know, it's like one of my Latin music heroes. You know, just going to see that and just just understanding how, why it is so incredible. But also under and just riding cabs in New York City. Just just that alone was just a big deal for this little kid who grew up in you know in the suburbs. You know. And throughout the travel and getting to knowing all those cities and getting to know people in those cities that are so cool. Because if you look, you know, example, a kid growing up in Toronto, uh, you know, you, you get you get to know America through the media, right? And so you get a certain bias about what's going on down there. And then you go there and then you realize, my God, everyone is, there's so many cool people down here that I wouldn't have known if I had just relied on the media to tell me about what Americans are like <laughs> and so many cool places and cool people. Any specific, I enjoyed all our times in Europe. Anytime we were driving around and playing shows in, in Scotland and in England and, and the time we spent in, in Germany and Amsterdam. And I just value those times so much just to walk around those cities and meet people. Uh, incredible. And Ireland, same. You know? And all the festivals that we were able to play, the Glastonbury festival was so fun, so fun and to feel to be a part of it, to be one of the artists involved, and meet other artists as equals was so cool. You know, just the WOMAD festivals that we went to, uh, just incredible experiences. So those festivals, I'd say, any festivals that we went to was an incredible experience, and we elevated our shows because we were so inspired by what was around us. You know, and the people that went to the festivals were there because they just wanted to just absorb great stuff. They were there because they wanted to be there. And this, the vibe of those festivals was so incredible. So I remember just that. Those, those are some of the best times. And then also the times in studio are at Cherish. Cherish those times and being creative and just really getting downtown with textures we were creating and then the times we were singing and and singing over again and singing over again and not quite working, <laughs> singing more and then coming up with something that felt right, you know, and, and realizing later how that hard work and attention to detail spoke, you know, as time went on. So uh, I'm so proud of that work that we did. It's hard to pick one of those things, but uh, those are all we cherish. First and foremost, thank you, Andy, for, <laughs> yes, for thank talking you, Andy. This has been wonderful. <laughs> Andy, I was going to ask 
where can people go online to check in on your latest project? Do you have a website you'd like to send them to or anywhere that you'd like to plug? Any work you can find two and three, I think. Any work one, I think if you look on YouTube, someone's put it up there. So yeah, the in, uh, the entire album's up there. Yeah, I think it is. Eh? Yeah. So um, so everything is more or less there. I don't know. If Brothers, I think Brothers Creek and one and two are there as well. Anyway, but uh, so those albums are all there. I don't know. Just uh, I'll probably put something on my Facebook page if I've done something or come up with something. Um, I, we kind of the Brothers Cregan website is defunct now. We just decided it just wasn't enough action to keep that going. So I'll post on my Facebook page, I guess, if I've got something going on that's uh, recording wise. I'll try to get out there as much as I can. I'm a pretty shy guy, though. So, well, thank you so much for your time today. I, you, people don't know this, but you you said you were able to do a certain part of time. You've gone long beyond that time. You've been very <laughs> yes. giving. Thank you time. so much. Yes. Thank well, you, Andy. Thank you very much, Andy. Talk to us. It's, it's my hope. Your passions are, and it's been a pleasure. My hopes, of course, is that like we're, after we're done with covering all the bare naked lady songs we're going to do the bare naked lady adjacent songs <laughs> um so all of the solo projects and outside projects that come and and hopefully you know we can have you back on when we cover Bro- brothers cregan um and go over those songs we would love to do that but even if not like having you on tonight was an amazing experience and i really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for agreeing to do this okay this is a pleasure yeah yeah thanks again sir right thanks on. andy Nice yes, nice to meet you too. Have a great evening. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, that was fun. Don't forget, no regrets. Except maybe one. Jeff, I know we've left you silent. I'm going to let you jump in here. Um, um, actually, come back to me. I had a question. I just lost okay. it. Way to put All it right. on the spot, Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.